It was the kind of silence that comes naturally. It had not been requested or demanded. It was the kind of silence that we fall into when we are in sacred space, on holy ground. The moments when words interrupt our thoughts and our connection with the divine, and they are not necessary. When somehow silence can fill the space as though there was sound. I still remember encountering this kind of silence, although it was almost 40 years ago. I was traveling with classmates to visit Washington, D.C. during our spring break. We had visited the Lincoln Memorial, and then we were walking down the steps and down the path towards the Vietnam Memorial. I certainly did not understand all the significance of that memorial at my age, but the power of that black wall with etched names extending so far out along the knoll struck me as a 14-year-old. It struck all of us silent. It wasn't ask of us, it just naturally came. And we walked along that cold April afternoon, reading name after name after name on that wall. We watched people kneel down, take out pieces of paper, and rub a pencil over them so they could take the names home with them. And we knew that this was a special place. And that silence just naturally enveloped us. This is what I hear Elisha saying, Elisha saying when he responds to the prophets today. Yes, I know. Be silent. He's telling them that words are not necessary, that God is here and that he is listening. Our reading today comes from 2 Kings, from the very beginning of that book, in fact, which is actually a continuation from 1 Kings, which could even argued be a continuation of the book of Samuel. So we're hearing one long strain of consecutive stories about the great prophets of Israel, Samuel and Elijah and Elisha, the great prophets. These prophets had the unenviable position of working between God, the monarchy, the religious leaders from other groups, and the people. And somehow they had to sort of maintain this space in the middle. And often their voice, the messages from God they were trying to share, were sometimes the only voice that could be heard. Many people tried to silence them, they had to battle the powers to be, at times avoiding assassination attempts, and continue to call Israel back to God. And our reading today comes at the end of Elijah's life. Elijah has been one of the greatest prophets in Israel. He has performed miracles, battled corrupt leaders, and even heard the still small voice of God in his darkest hour. And he is coming to the end of his days. We are not told why they are traveling around in this reading. 
And it's not clear why they're going to these different places. In fact, if you look at a map, they've actually retraced their steps through this reading, almost as though they're walking in a circle. And perhaps this meandering or this wandering is another sign, another distraction or another noise. Because Elisha has a job at hand. His job is to lead the Israelites. Elisha has been chosen by Elijah to be a successor, a chosen prophet of God. Elijah had called him from the fields where he was plowing with oxen, and Elijah had dropped everything and followed him. Much like Jesus calling his disciples from the fishing boats, Elisha had watched and learned from Elijah, knowing someday it would be his job to be God's prophet for the people. And now that day has come. We don't know how Elijah and Elisha know that Elijah's death is imminent. And we don't know how the company of prophets know, but clearly they all seem to be in agreement that this is the day. And for some reason, these other prophets want to tell Elisha this. I appreciated how Sheila read the reading this morning because I've been wondering what the tone of voice was that they used. Did they whisper it as though they had insider knowledge? Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away? Were they saying it compassionately because they knew it was going to be a difficult day? Or were they saying it with that superior tone, as though Elijah isn't up to the task? Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away? And that same question has bounced around in my head this week as to how Elisha responds. Is it in anger at being underestimated? Perhaps in resignation of this inevitable happening? Or perhaps in a more accepted tone, something like this. Yes, I know. Now keep silent. This tone tells me that Elisha knows that he's made a commitment, a pledge, to be there with Elijah until the very end. It echoes the promise that Ruth makes to Naomi as they travel to a different place to start their life again. And it echoes the women's actions who sat at the cross when Jesus was crucified. Three times Elijah tries to dismiss Elisha. He wants to give him a way out. A goodbye so that Elijah does not have to be with him at the very end. An easier way. But Elijah will have nothing of it. He continues to tell Elijah, as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And two times the group of prophets also try to give him a way out. And he's not having any of it. Elijah's commitment and love for Elijah is conveyed in his actions. He wants to care for Elijah in the very best way that he can. He wants to carry on his work asking for his spirit, 
which in this context refers to an inheritance or what we pass on to the next generation that are coming after us, that wisdom that we want to leave with them. Elijah is willing and asked to continue Elijah's work, even though he knows it will be very, very difficult. And somehow, Elijah knows that it is in the silence that he will find the truth. It is in the silence that he will find God's guidance. He knows that these other voices are just distractions, interruptions, that are keeping him away from Elijah and away from God. And so he tells these voices to be silent. So why this reading before Lent? We're getting ready to start Lent on Wednesday with Ash Wednesday, our time of preparation for the resurrection. Lent is our time to turn again towards the divine to find the Holy Spirit in our midst, to see Jesus and the people around us. I find Lent requires silence because we need to unclutter our minds and we need to unclutter our hearts. And how do we do this? It requires commitment and perhaps tuning out some of those other voices around us. Those voices that call us away from God, that lure us away with promises of shiny things, something new and bright, something alluring, something exciting perhaps. Those shiny things that do not last in our world though. They do not last in our lives, and they do not support our hearts and our minds and our souls. Much like our reading next week when Jesus will tell the voice in the desert to be silent, Elisha is showing us how to turn away from the noise and the distractions. So this year, as you prepare for entering Lent, I invite you to consider what in your life might be whispering the shiny things to you, enticing you to look away, enticing you to not listen. What is trying to draw your attention away from God? And what do you need to tell, keep silent? 